Mitch Ball with tonight's prediction. By the way, I want to apologize for those that are listening on the podcast uh, because I screwed up when it came to recording the show. So the hour one podcast is going to be late getting up. So I apologize um, as you're now listening to this on a podcast recorded, even though this is technically live radio. Anyway, all right, here we go. Let's get to it. Number 12, Kansas State is 18-5, and 6-4 and four in Big 12 play, which would have them tied for third. Cats lost to Texas the last game out on Saturday. First loss at home this year, either in Bramlage or in Kansas City, which was technically a home game. Lost 69-66 in a contest where Casey was up 14, we thought, heading into the break, and then a Tyke Green foul on a three-point shot gave... The Texas Longhorns, three free throw makes. And the Cats blow 11-point halftime lead to lose to Texas, 69-66, and split the series. TCU, meanwhile, not on a hot run lately either. They're number 17 in the country, 17-6 is their record, 6-4 in conference. By the way, both times K-State plays TCU, they're 17th in the country. In the first meeting, K-State was number 11 in loss. Now they're number 12. Will that have any hocus-pocus on the game? Mitch Palm doesn't think so. Doesn't think so. But TCU has lost two of their last three. They did lose in Stillwater on Saturday, 76-72. Hell of a comeback, but they fall short. They were down 19 points at one point on Saturday. Let's look back at the first meeting. It was really all TCU. It felt like a varsity versus JV game at some points. Where the Horned Frogs won 82-68. I mean, Cats were down big. Uh, at one point, as many as 25 points in the second half. But TCU, it was a very good defensive performance. It was a solid defensive performance. Casey turned it over 20 times. That was the second worst number this year. Horn Frogs were able to con- convert to six, uh, 26 second chance points. And also the, se- the fast break points. That was a huge factor in Mitch Palm first time around. And it was an absolute backbreaker for the K- Cats. 32 fast break points for TCU in meeting number one. And a lot of their scoring came inside the arc. 54 of TCU's 82 points inside the arc. And also performed very well in the paint. TCU was 58% inside the arc against the Cats. Meanwhile, Keontae Johnson led the Cats in double figures. 18 points and 9 rebounds. Marquise Noel finished with 16. Leader for the Horn Frogs is Emmanuel Miller with 23. Let's start with what we already know about TCU, and that is the injuries. Mike Miles, the point guard for the Horned Frogs, and uh, he's preseason player of the year in the conference. He is officially out for tonight. He will not play. He's been out last few games because of a knee injury. He hyperextended his knee against Mississippi State, has not played since, since his very few minutes against the Bulldogs. And that's a big piece of this game they're missing because – in the first meeting, he had 13 points, 11 assists. A lot of those were in fast breaks. He also had five rebounds and three steals. Now, who we know that will play, we thought he may not play, but he will. It's been guaranteed now. Eddie Lampkin said it himself, not in exactly these words, but he's going to play. He says, I'm back, 8 o'clock, ESPNU. Check it out. Eddie Lampkin, who was a force in the first game, 17 points, 6 of 7 from the floor. He had 6 rebounds. He will play tonight. 
How much of a factor is that? We'll see. TCU's a very good rebounding team, and K-State has struggled with good big men in the paint. Christian Bishop for Texas really took over the game on Saturday. He was scoreless in the first half, goes into double figures in the second half. It felt like he was really scoring at will in the paint in one-on-one ISO. Didn't matter if it was, you know, Naquan Tom or Naquan Tomlin, uh, mostly David Gasson or Bebe Igiola. Both struggled. He was a hard stop. Eddie Lampkin isn't exactly an easy stop as well. He is much more efficient than he has been in the past. Other players for uh, for the Horn Frogs, you have Damian Ball, who's a six four guard. They have really good guard play lately. And right now, Ball is or, yeah, Ball is averaging fourteen points, six assists. Four rebounds a game. That's a solid line, and he's been in double figures in seven straight games. He's just not a good three-point shooter, but around the basket, very good, right around 50%. Shahade Wells is a six-foot guard, and he'll he'll be playing more. He'll probably start tonight with no Mike Miles, and he's been very good lately. He's been in double figures in four of the last five games. And previous to that, he had scored just in double figures three times. And right now, averaging in that run, 13 points, three assists, three steals a game, which is a very solid line. And shooting 72% from two-point range, but again, not the best three-point shooter. Actually, really not bad. 35%. That's not bad. But uh, Emmanuel Miller, who killed K-State in the first game, great rebounder, nine points a game. And who I worry about as well a little bit, I would have worried about him a lot more if Eddie Lambkin wasn't playing. But Xavier Cork who is the other five for this team, right now averaging six points, four rebounds a game. He can be a little bit of an issue. He actually just recently had 15 points, five rebounds against West Virginia. Let's get to something else that's interesting about TCU, and that's their shooting. They're not a good shooting team when it comes to three-point range. 29% in Big 12 play. They're only making four a game. That's worse than Texas. And a factor of mine going into the Texas game is K-State needs to dominate the three-point line, win the three-point line, by a good mark. And I think they just won it by two. Actually, I may be wrong with that. I, I'm not exactly sure. But going inside the three-point arc, TCU is very good. They're shooting uh, overall, by the way, best shooting team in the conference at 48%. And from, from two-point range in Big 12 play, shooting 54%. They are much better and a much more efficient inside the arc than they are outside of it. Meanwhile, TCU ranks third in the Big 12 in rebounding. That does worry me a little bit. They're going to probably be a little bit better on the offensive boards. K-State just has to play good defense and not allow second-chance points. Also, as the three-point shooting does not worry me at all of TCU, the two-point shooting does. On the other side of the ball, or the floor, I should say, is the turnovers. This is what really worries me, is TCU's ability to turn people over. First of all, offensively, they don't turn it over very much, about 11 times a game. It's the fewest in the Big 12. But they force 16.5 turnovers a game. That's 19th in the country. Why that also worries me is K-State's turning it a lot over themselves recently. In the last eight games, K-State's averaging 15.5 turnovers a game. That's a bad number. That has to be cleaned up. Marquise Noel is uh, probably number one on the list on who has to clean it up more than anybody, especially in the last couple of games. Way too many turnovers, not enough assists. It's got to be cleaned up. That's just, it has to happen. It's as simple as that. I don't need to go too far in the numbers. We've seen it unfold. It has to clean up, especially against a team like 
TC that can really do some damage. Plus, in the last couple of games, K-State's just had 21 assists to 32 turnovers. It's a horrible assist-to-turnover ratio. Now, TCU is still the number one team in the country in turning defense and offense. Their fast break points more than anybody in the country. 20.7 a game. That's three and a half points better than the team in second place. That's Cornell. Shout out to Cornell. The Big Red Bear. They're second uh, in that category in the country. Who's second best in the Big 12, by the way, is Texas at 12.9 fast break points per game. And they only had six against K-State. I did like K-State getting back on defense after making mistakes. All right, let's get to the keys of the game. I, I basically said it earlier, be smart with the basketball. Be smart. Don't always go for the home run play. I think after making a play defensively, they're lobbing it too much down the floor, and it's not resulting in anything. It's To me, it's not worth the gamble. Because not only, yes, you may see the guy open, but not everybody's a quarterback. Not everybody's going to hit that pass. And usually the passes are way too strong. And if they're short, great chance it can be stolen. It's not worth the risk to me. I think that's got to be cleaned up. Keontae Johnson cannot get into foul trouble. Because if he does get into foul trouble, okay, now these teams are missing their best players. Both teams are missing their best players. Not so much a factor anymore with TCU not having Mike Miles because now you're also missing somebody that averages 18 points a game. So Keontae Johnson, he's got to be smart on his own. Now, yes, the, the calls against him against Texas were not consistent, in my opinion. This is just me talking. Was not consistent, in my opinion. But it's just about playing smart basketball. If you don't have the angle, don't be swiping at it. Out of position, don't swipe at it. it. It's those kind of fouls that's getting him caught up in the foul trouble, just swiping at the basketball and trying to make like that Marquise Noel type of steal where Marquise can kind of sneak in and slap away the basketball and get a steal. Just can't afford that. It To me, again, not worth the risk. And also, please start well in the second half. We've seen in the last two home games, K-State not start well in the second half. And they took care of business against Florida, did not against Texas. And TCU is a lot better than Florida. Now, after that being all said and done, what I do take in most consideration than anything, Mike Miles is not playing. They're talking about the Big 12 Player of the Year preseason and missing 18 points a game, that's very hard to replace. TCU's going to try, and I think they'll make a decent game out of it, but it won't be easy. Eddie Lankin back is a factor, but he can't replace what Mike Miles can do. So they might try to feed him a lot. As long as K-State does their best to protect two and not so much have their main focus on the three-point line, I think the Cats will be fine tonight and get back in the win column. Ken Palm says K-State wins 74-72, 57% chance. Mitch Palm says it's a 69% chance. Cats get it done, and I have a, a six-point win for Kansas State. A little bit lower scoring, 70-64, to the final. I can think of younger days When living for my life Was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told about 
Yes, you are hearing that right. From 1971, How Do You Mend a Broken Heart by the Bee Gees. Four weeks at number one. It's basically a country song. And they weren't always disco. This is a huge song for the Bee Gees. Now, do you know these guys actually formed in 58? Really, they formed before that, whenever the the youngest brother was born, right? They said the Bee Gees since birth. Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb from Douglas, Isle of Man. They grew up in, in England. But they're referred to as the Disco Kings, Britain's first family of harmony, the kings of dance music. But this is clearly... Not the most fun song to dance to. It's a sad song. And you're not going to do that, you know, that you know, crotch to sky move, whatever that is. I'm sure there's a name for it. But the Bee Gees have sold over 225 million records worldwide. That's one of the best of all time. As a matter of fact, when they were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 97, they said only Elvis, Beatles, Michael Jackson, Garth Brooks, and Paul McCartney have outsold the Bee Gees. Now, unfortunately, Maurice, he died suddenly in January of 2003, just 53 years old. Barry and Robin would retire the group's name after 45 years. In 2009, Robin announced that he and Barry would agree the Bee Gees would reform and perform again. But unfortunately, Robin died three years after that in May of 2012 at 62 years old. But you know what? The falsetto of Barry is still alive. Now, he hasn't performed since 2019, before the pandemic. But I I saw video of his, like, recent concerts. He doesn't sound terrible. He actually sounds pretty decent. I don't know about today. I mean, we're talking three or four years ago. But I know for a f- This was probably in 19 that he actually re-recorded this song with Sheryl Crow and it sounded pretty good for the Bee Gees 22 studio albums 30 top 40 hits and this was their very first of nine number ones now with the nine number one hits the Bee Gees are the third most successful band in Billboard charts history behind only the Beatles and the Supremes this song is just a tale about heartbreak Baron Robin, they wrote it together in August of 1970. Now, they, they were not together at the time as a group. They were not together at the time. You know, I guess they had some issues a couple of years prior. But Barry and Robin were like, you know what? I got this song in mind. Let's get back together. Let's start writing. And when they wrote, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? It was along with another song called Broken Heart. They're like, you know what? We got something here. Let's let's get this back together. This was a big influence on the Bee Gees starting to write songs, get back together, and get back to performing. The kicker here is this song was not originally... It was not going to originally be recorded by the Bee Gees. It was going to be Andy Williams to record it. And he did later on, but the Bee Gees were to do it first. And it was huge. Could have got it to number one, and it kind of rekindled the fire of their career. Might recognize this song from the 2013 film, American Hustle. 
It's on the soundtrack and everything. But it became the title of their documentary, How Came In a Broken Heart. It's about the life and career of the Bee Gees. And I haven't seen it yet, but I've been told by a couple of people that would definitely have a good gauge on what's a good music documentary and what's not. They said this is one of the best. It gets a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was nominated for six Emmy Awards, including Emmy Award for Outstanding Documentary, which it won. So there you go. I've not watched it yet, but I know it's on like HBO, uh, is it called uh, HBO Now or whatever it's called? Billboard ranked it the fifth best song of 1971. It was also nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performance by a duo or group, but they lost out to the Carpenters. And that's your number one song of the day. Let's see, Owen's around here somewhere. Maybe he'll join me for a little number one, or for a little Ask Us Anything. We'll take our final timeout. God, I didn't know where the Ask Us Anything button was. Uh, Troy joins us back for a little Ask Us Anything. I panicked. I was like, where is it? Not used to it. All right, Troy, since you go get a hot dog before games, if you could have a hot dog anyway when it comes to toppings and condiments or whatever, what would you put on your hot dog? I am a fan of nacho cheese and uh, even some ketchup. Yeah, like if, if I could have it anyway, I want like chili, cheese, you know, maybe some onions. If, if chili isn't an option... Or cheese isn't an option. Mustard, relish, and onions. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. The now, flaw is is that my body just does not like those things called vegetables. Do you do sauerkraut? No. Yeah, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of sauerkraut either. Not really. Uh, I, I've tried it once. It was okay, but not really my thing. All right, next question here, Troy. Does your wife have a nickname for you? Uh, any number of them, yes. <laughs> Is there any you can repeat? Like, any cute ones? Well, the, the, uh, really, you want me to go there? Yeah, the like easiest Sparky? One is be- well, Panda. I mean, because she has collected Panda items since before she was in high school. So, we have a number of Panda-related knickknacks around the place. And so that's kind of a given. I, you know, Lindsay, yeah, kind of the same. Like probably some I can't really repeat. Um, but you know, we both love the "Are You Garbage" podcast. Sometimes I'll yeah. call her Garbaggio. She'll call me Bozo. Oh, so endearing. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> where Where's the most awkward place you have fallen asleep? Uh, the floor of a bus essentially under seats. But that's embarrassing. Was that why was that embarrassing? Oh, embarrassing. Oh, um, no, I thought you said awkward. Or yeah, awkward, embarrassing. What you know? I kind of see. It oh, the okay. Same. See, I'm thinking. I'm I'm going awkward as in you know how I got down there. I mean, come on, that was tough. If the claustrophobia kicks in, then you're really fighting it. Was that uh, during the band days? Uh, no, that was uh, indoor football trips where you were going 
12 hours in some cases. I uh, um, I once fell asleep in you. church when I went back when I was a kid. Yeah, embarrassing-wise, I don't know that I've really got one because I'm, I'm bad about being able to fall asleep in places. I did that thing where, okay, so you're like nodding off, but you're like your head falls backwards, and then as soon as it hits, like falls backwards as far as it can go, you like pick back, you, you pick back up and you're awake and then you doze back off. I did one of those things where my head fell backwards and I let out a really loud snore during oh. the whole motion. And it got everybody's attention. <laughs> but the preacher didn't stop. All right, that's going to do it. Hey, Troy takes over at 6.03. Manhattan basketball is up shortly. Online and on demand 24-7 at News